Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360 is back and ready to go. Glad you're with us. Alongside Paul Kuharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Chad Withrow back with us tomorrow. Lance Lee, Jacob Swanson making the show happen. David Reed is the chairman of the board. Sarah Triplett, our production assistant today as we broadcast live from Studio G, Nashville, Tennessee, Blackbird Studios and the Blackbird Academy. A lot to hit over the course of the hour. Uh, we will get to the open and the leaderboard and the details of the course. We have news on Maria Taylor, and uh, apparently she's close to signing with NBC. Uh, NBA Finals last night, a lot. But we start with PK. PK, good morning. Good morning. Good to see you. Hello, everyone, <laughs> uh, through the cameras and in the back of the room. There was a show, Paul, was this three or four years ago now? Longer well, than that. Oh, longer than that. Paul did a show with a piece of chewing gum in place of a tooth, his front tooth. It wasn't in place of the tooth, I don't think. I think it was it in was place like half of a of piece it. of a tooth. Yeah, to, to replace the feeling of the full tooth being there. And that's not the case today, although we were close to having that moment. Had this happened... Well, you would have been a doing a solo show today. <laughs> if, so what happened uh, yesterday? Um, so there's an uh, Outkick 360 special coming soon. It's produced by uh, Jacob Swanson, who's going to do excellent production work. But we have excellent content provided by Sarah Triplett and uh, Regan McCrossan, uh, because I proclaimed that I could tell the best, best bagel. Um, and so they brought in four bagels, uh, plain bagels with, with uh, cream cheese. And I sampled the, we, we sat down at the three desks and we sampled these bagels and I deduced what was what. Was what. And after we did this uh, wonderful episode, we sat around finishing up the bagels. Well, I have some crowns on the front of my teeth, and I have nightmares about teeth crumbling in my mouth. I think we've talked about these on yes, air. Yes, they turn to chalk or whatever. Yeah, like a mouthful of chalk. And all of a sudden, this tooth, <laughs> this one right here, was in my mouth, just loose in my mouth. Uh, freaking me out. Jacob was here. Sarah was here. Uh, McCrossin was here. She is now in Richmond, maybe watching. Um, the ladies thought this. I, I was freaked out. I'm like, I have a tooth in my mouth. I don't want to feel the post that's under there. When I had the work done, I spent my entire effort not letting my tongue touch the work that was going on. So I had no concept, no memory of this. Yesterday, I couldn't avoid touching it at least somewhat. Uh, my upper lip obviously feels it. It's not numbed. Uh, the, the girls are laughing hysterically. Now, Sarah, the, the women, excuse me, Sarah is, uh, you know, she's like, 
empathetically laughing like oh i'm so sorry but giggling they're sure. seeing it i'm i'm like kramer and like Duh, look away holding my phone <laughs> up holding my hand there is up. no video of this i did ask if if because they, they were rolling if there was the i i would have begged for it not to be used that's how bad and i would use video of anything to service the show but this i i would not no blood right a little bit of blood really yeah from the gums uh uh you know, and I've got the bulk of the tooth, but also like little pieces of the edge of the tooth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus chewed bagel in my <laughs> mouth. So I'm sorting through this. Somebody finally offers me a napkin, and I sort it out, fold it up in the napkin. Um, but Regan really uh, lost a lot of respect. Uh, I lost a lot of respect. She just thought it was the funniest thing ever. Just laugh, laugh, laugh. No empathy, no sympathy. Uh, she kind of apologized last night, but even in the apology, I think she thought it was funny. Oh, I, I mean, I, it's going to happen again. Like, it's happened now twice. It will happen again. Look how good this temporary is. They did um, a tremendous work. I, I so I called the dentist, and the woman's like, uh, yeah, we're really full today. Can you come in first thing tomorrow? I'm like, no, no, there's no way I could come in first thing tomorrow. She went and talked to him, and he said, yeah, yeah there's potential for gum problems. You've got to come in. And so they squeezed me in, and they did great work. Had this plan to go out with, with Chad and Clay and, and the production assistants, and uh, you know, ended up showing up there an hour early and just drinking early, waiting on them. That skipped the whole thing going home, batting practice with Simon and all of that. Got this temp in. I might be missing a show in two weeks when the crown comes in because the guy apparently who matches the color on the crown is very important and you can only be seen at certain times. So I have oh, to abide by his <laughs> important schedule. gig. Quite Jacob, the artist. Uh, Jacob, I'd like to get your take on the, on the whole thing. It, it was just a little bit surprising. I was. Uh, <laughs> Tell I, me about it. I, I saw that you were concerned about something. Uh, <clears throat> Kind of hunched I, I over. saw a look on your face that I have not seen. And he's before. tasting bagels, so maybe you're thinking maybe it's some some bad cream cheese, maybe bloody cream cheese. It, maybe it's just not bloody crunchy well, cream cheese. The taste, you know. No, it was pretty apparent that something uh, beyond I don't like this food is going on. Oh. And uh, and yeah, and then Paul Paul let us see it for a, a second. I think that's where Regan really lost it was was the image oh you see the the chip too uh, not chip we were all very surprised like it yeah no one more than me yeah and even when you said like i i lost my tooth when i didn't expect to see a whole tooth missing i thought it was like oh there's a little chip off there and yeah we realized it was a much more serious situation than we initially thought. Now, Lance told this story, said he would have gone home, shown off a mouth with a missing tooth. But it's not just a missing tooth. There's a post under there. So, I don't know. Uh, listen, this is a nightmare scenario for me. Uh, they handled it great at the dentist, and um, I didn't dream of it last night. So, Good. that's progress. Uh, and, again, uh, um, you know, the fingernail biting. They filed down the one that I've chipped a little bit. I need to not bite. Uh, I'm, I'm glad everything. Uh, but okay. you're not supposed to bite Paul's into here. stuff, so I don't bite into apples. But I oh. hadn't thought of it with bagels. So you're not supposed to tear stuff or bite into stuff. So I'd forgotten that, you know, in terms of yeah. bagels, uh, and we put in a good workout on these bagels. Yeah. How did uh, how did the bagel test te uh, taste test go? Like, was it 
Well, I don't want to give it away. I, th I think we need to leave it for contest. I consider it a rousing success. But this I was, think they the, this was the last bagel where you, chipped your, where you broke your tooth. Well, uh, um, it w I was finishing up the last bagel as we finished the leftovers. Gotcha. And uh, Sarah did an excellent job putting together the test. The Bucks did an excellent job. They trailed by nine uh, late in the game last night and battled back and, and tie this series at two games apiece against the Phoenix Suns. Uh, Chris Paul with the turnover, Bucks get the layup in transition. They go up four with roughly 27 seconds to go. Um, at that point, you felt like Milwaukee had it, but it, it still went down to the wire. Um, Booker, speaking of late in the fourth, Booker should have fouled out with three and a half minutes to go. Really got away with it. Wraps up Holiday on, on a, a ball. He's just trying to lay up at the rim. No call. That should have been his sixth foul. Um, he actually fouled again later in the quarter, no call. Seven fouls. Um, and and for, a, for a game that was filled with touch fouls throughout the game, anything close to the rim, any contact, they were letting it go. Um, and it was not a foul when Giannis, in a great recovery uh, on Aiton, on a, did you see the oop? He, he covered the alley the, and the oop. He, got, he was beat, then covers the oop, blocks it, off the <laughs> off the backboard, incredible moment of the series. Play of the series. Yeah, and and it may go down as the play of the series because the game was tied at that point, and the Bucks go on to win the game on what would have been a dunk and a momentum swing for Phoenix to get the the momentum back in their corner. Middleton with forty points. Uh, Paul, there were moments in the third where I thought we were going to win the parlay last night because we were close on some points, close on assists. But then those players never actually did much more throughout the Down game. The, 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 the big players took over. Booker continued to play well. Middleton played well. And Giannis did the little things last night. He's the MVP of the series so far. He's been fantastic. And now it's a best of three heading back to Phoenix. But Giannis came in under 30. We missed on three points par, uh, parlays that I set. So major fail by me. Jacob will be taking over the parlay. <clears throat> Impressive by Milwaukee. You know, uh, Chad was joking yesterday about the pivotal game four. Yeah. Look, uh, you know, seven-game series are built in a certain way, and game four is is typically a pivotal a pivotal game, and that's a huge win for the Bucks. We knew it was going to be a close one. You know, I wasn't surprised that the Bucks won game three, coming home, having kind of uh, had it handed to them on the road. If you're going to make it I a agree. series and anything be competitive, you come home, you thrive off the home cro crowd, you generally play your best game and have your best chance to win big in that game, and they did that. Then last night was going to be a tight one if the Bucks had it in them, and they had it in them uh, and, and did well to, to win it. And now it's a lot more compelling. I still think the Suns probably win two in a row here, but there's a lot more room for doubt about the Suns winning this thing, obviously, with it tied, uh, than there would have been in many other scenarios that were completely conceivable right up until the end last night. Um, Booker, ter terrific. Um, he was the best great. player on the court last night in a lot of ways. He was, and so was Middleton. Uh, Middleton was excellent, too, and that was a battle that, that was fun to watch for all four quarters if you tuned in, and just tuning in and out during the first half. And then I watched the majority of the second half. It was great. And, and they really didn't even get going until the second quarter, both of them. And they end up with 40 and 42 
to end the night. Uh, Middleton and Giannis combined for 66 points. And, and that's their game. And Middleton has been spotty throughout the postseason. He's been really good. Up and down. Uh, really bad game, at times. Game three. You haven't noticed. Yeah. Very and, good. Uh, same for Booker. Wasn't good. And he was Middleton stepped up when Giannis was down for a bit in the postseason. And now with them together, I think they're, they're neck and neck with the Suns. I'm with you. I'm still taking Phoenix to win the series. When the game was, uh, when the series was 2-0 Phoenix, I took Phoenix to win in six and Phoenix to win in seven uh, at FanDuel, uh, just because the odds were so high that it would last that long. Um, Milwaukee tying the series is great. I'm riding with Phoenix because they have home court advantage, and I do think overall they have the shot makers to win games down the stretch. The uh, I should mention again at the restaurant we were at last night, we had the the last pixelating TV in the history of televisions at big restaurants or bars. Standard death. Standard death. Yeah, it was like when you tried to watch HBO when you didn't have HBO in the old days and it was all boxes. Uh, That's how we were watching the game last night. Now, the Mexico soccer game was clear on a smaller TV, but uh, it was was tough last night down the stretch knowing that it was coming and we could kind of see the block. Uh, but not really. So uh, Sports Center highlights were good to me last night. The sports business angle of last night, Maria Taylor's hosting the pregame show on ABC while a story comes out from uh, front office sports saying that she is at the half-yard line. Uh, take that for whatever you want. It's negotiating ploy. It's, it's perfect for Maria Taylor to have this out there. At the half-yard line with NBC, I'm getting a deal done. Now, uh, Andrew Marchand had put this out a few weeks earlier that NBC was in the running for Maria Taylor. They want to, uh, according to uh, Marchand, um, put her on Football Night in America whenever Tarico takes over for Al Michaels after this coming season. Uh, also, Notre Dame football broadcast is where she could be involved in that. Uh, ESPN reportedly has offered around $3 million a year. You would think NBC's offering more if... It's the, the deal is close to being done, but it's it, it made for an interesting night, uh, and it had to make for some awkward moments behind the scenes. Nothing that she showed on TV, um, but with all this going on in a hectic week and a hectic two weeks, uh, with what ESPN's been dealing with with Rachel Nichols and Maria Taylor, uh, interesting story to follow, and interesting that NBC NBC's also uh, reading some stories, uh, offering the Today Show some spots on the Today Show. So it's a different type of platform than what ESPN would be offering, but maybe not as much sports on a regular basis. She becomes Tariko, Tariko becomes Michaels, but that's still at least a year off. Um, no, it, it's, it, the, the talk is that Michaels is retiring after this year. Right, so it's a year off yeah. before those guys shift. So she goes over there, and they have nothing for the first year in these roles. They have to find places for her. I think ultimately that's a good job. I mean, hosting Football Night in America is probably the best hosting job there is. That's the best broadcast property there is. Um, but... I am a little skeptical because we've seen some moves of people to entities. Josh Elliott went to NBC and he was going to be the next Bob Costas and everything. And they ultimately didn't find anything for him and he faded out and he's nowhere now. Right. Friend of ours uh, was a guest on our when he was on Good Morning America, a guest on our very first show as a trio um, at our old place. Um, 
So I'm sure they'll find stuff for her, but it's always weird when the beginning of the job is we have to find stuff for you instead of you do what we're hiring you to do, and it's a year year in waiting. It's a proactive move by them. Um, it's well, a good job. And I'd say outside of that job, I don't know that there are a lot of alternatives. So she did a good job finding the one big alternative as leverage against ESPN. Well, making moves like this, you have to be proactive. You have to think steps ahead, ahead um, for, in both instances, on her part and on NBC's part. So um, uh, if there, there weren't bigger things down the road, they wouldn't try to hire her now. They're hiring her now because she's available now. That's what Clay Travis did with us. Yeah. Hired us because we were available and is building something much bigger across the Outkick network than what was available in January. So uh, it makes total sense on top of Olympic coverage that she could be involved with and every other sports entity that NBC would have uh, the desire to pair her with that can also put her on news programming and other shows during daytime programming where she can add an extra voice however she chooses to do so. I want Marshand and Deitch, the two best uh, sports media reporters, to come out with a uh, top five like, like Chad does for coaching openings. He does oh, top yeah. tens. Top five for who's going to get Maria Taylor's chair on the NBA uh, show that she's leaving for ESPN. Which and her is contract, going to be you, you mentioned big, this, Paul, her contract expires right before game seven of the NBA Finals as we head to Game 5. Chad was, uh, not Chad, Clay was saying last night he thinks uh, Sage Steele, I think he said, oh. would pop into that chair, which would be interesting. Um, but uh, more more so than that, I'm just curious. It, there's going to be a lot, a lot, a lot of attention on what goes on with that show now. <clears throat> with Rachel Nichols kind of in limbo and with Maria Taylor gone if she signs this contract, which it sounds like she will. Coming up, Richard Sherman's 911 call uh, from his wife uh, was released yesterday. We'll give thoughts on that. Plus, uh, the Open, the battle for the Claret Jug is on. Details on the leaderboard and details on the course. One of the, the favorite tournaments of the entire calendar year, not just because it's the Open, but because of the courses that they're forced to play on and the rough that's involved where golf balls are being lost and there's no trees on a course, and there's no there's a little water, but it's it's tough to lose the, the the ball in the water here as well. It's the rough, it's the size of the grass that's uh, preventing some of the players from finding their golf balls. Details on the course, which is mind blowing, uh, straight ahead as well. You can join us on the YouTube chat. Uh, search out Outkick 360. Hit the subscription button, and we hope you'll give us a thumbs up while you're there. You're automatically entered to win a Sony and Hertz Odyssey prize pack. Uh, more coming. Stick with us on Outkick 360. First, though, mydrhank.com slash outkick. Look, erectile dysfunction affects over half of all men. It does not make you have to feel like half of a man. Since 2017, My Dr. Hank has been making America hard again. My Dr. Hank helps you get low-cost ED meds and overcome the psychological and emotional barriers to getting ED treatment. And they secure your prescription. They then ship it to you discreetly every month from USA Pharmacies, all for as low as $2 a pill. So don't wait, you can join the movement, mydrhank.com slash outkick to sign up, and for Outkick subscribers, a great offer. Yeah, you go to that website, mydrhank.com slash outkick, sign up and you get 50% off your first subscription order 
We're big on uh, discounts for first-time uh, trials of, of the products that we advertise here. This is the biggest one, 50% off your first subscription offer, mydrhank.com slash outkick. Mydrhank.com slash outkick. Outkick 360 is back across the Outkick network. Thanks for being with us today. Alongside Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Chad Withrow back with us tomorrow. Uh, the 911 call uh, was released yesterday after we went off the air of the Richard Sherman arrest uh, up in Seattle. And there was damage to property, an attempt to gain entrance into a residence, which constituted the burglary charges. But the more serious issues... Uh, his wife, Ashley Moss, called 911, where on the call she says he's threatening to kill himself to the, to the dispatcher, um, and goes on to say he sent text messages to people saying he's going to hang himself. This is like an effing emergency. I need officers here now. The, the police arrived. They were able to calm him down. Sherman then fought the arresting officer when they told him that he was going to be taken into custody. And that's when they uh, released the, the canine unit and had everything else involved with this. Um, he's an all-time great for the Seattle Seahawks, that we know, a five-time Pro Bowler most recently with the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, but this is troubling and alarming and a situation where, just reading the details, Paul, uh, he, he lost his mind. I realize alcohol may be involved, maybe who knows what else. It's very out of character for Richard Sherman. That, when we mentioned this yesterday, when you saw the headline and the name associated, you did a double take because it's so out of the norm for him and what he's represented over the years. Um, apparently, he's going in front of a judge today uh, for arraignment. But this is, it's troubling in, in hearing the details of all this. He got unfairly typecast, if I remember correctly, when he was coming out. Uh, into the league as, you know, maybe a be, uh, uh, on his looks a little bit as a, and he's from a tough neighborhood, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, and he, he is a guy that combated that whole thing. Hey, don't stereotype me. Uh, went to Stanford, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a smart guy, smart businessman, hell of a football player, all these things. And he did a I mean, lot he's, to he's turn from, a lot of these stereotypes from Compton. He's, yeah, he's from Compton. Yeah. Turn a lot of these stereotypes on their head. Now this happening fuels some of these idiots who typecast him. Uh, a very unfortunate and bad story. Now this 911 call becomes a, a big story. And the woman who took the call is getting bashed almost universally. Mike Florio leading the charge. I don't think it's fair personally. If people saying that she's not sympathetic, she's not empathetic, and certainly you would want th th that to be part of the tone, but her job is to get information. She asks the wife for an address, and she doesn't get an address. She asks the wife, who's unclear as to whether Sherman is trying to fight or being physical, to define what's going on there because she needs to know. Is there violence happening or is there a threat of violence happening? That's an important distinction, I would imagine, for authorities who are on the way there to know what they're getting ready for. And she's being unclear on that. And the 911 operator's trying to kind of jerk her back into 
hey, give me this information that I need so that we're ready when we get there for what we're about to face. Yes. She's not a psychologist. She's not the person to calm the situation down. She's the person to get the information. Now, her tone wasn't great, particularly at the end. She got frustrated. She's a little nonchalant. But ultimately, her job is to get the information, I think. And I think she's taking too much flack for trying to do that. And I understand in the heat of the moment, you're... Uh, you're not going to be at your best when you're calling 911, but I think we're all programmed to a degree. In an emergency, i got to tell them where to come to protect me and my kids. And she never provided the address from the snippet that we heard. Well, and it, last night and, and today, I, I reached out to a friend of mine, Philip Noel, who's a, a 911 director, just to get some context here uh, with exactly what the protocol is, because there's a lot more people involved behind the scenes when this is going on, and, and should we be critical of the tone? We don't hear 911 calls on a Very daily often. basis, uh, certainly uh, in, in regards to an issue like this. Um, and I thought, well, instead of just reading text, let's just have uh, Phil on. Phil, thanks for joining us, man. Hope you're doing well. Hey, doing good. Thanks, guys. Hey, so uh, as a 911 director, you, you heard the, the 911 call. What do you think of the criticism that this woman is facing for how she handled the call that came into her? Yeah, so first of all, I think Paul is absolutely on the right track with, with his line of thinking. And it's really, it's so hard when you hear just the audio, just, just the, the raw audio of a 911 call to really understand everything that's going on uh, in that call and, and behind that call and the, the people that are involved uh, while that call is happening. It's a myriad of things that are happening. And, you know, the public is just hearing the words that are being spoken. So uh, first and foremost, the, the, the call taker in this situation, in that center, there was pro there's probably call takers and then there's probably dispatchers. The call takers take the call, they get the information. Uh, this is being put into a, a computer that others can see, including obviously this, the dispatcher who has to, to get the, the assets in route to wherever they're going. Uh, you know, and not every, not every call, no 911 call, especially an intense one really ever goes by the book. Uh, it's, it's a very fluid situation. So while she didn't necessarily state the address, there are many other ways and, and tools that that call taker and dispatcher are going to have to determine that address without it needing to be verbally stated. Now, does that help? A hundred percent, absolutely. Location is the most important thing with, with a 911 call. You don't have a location, you don't have anything. But that call taker is, is literally the first responder to that scene. And they were probably getting officers in route within seconds of that call being connected, which you don't obviously hear in the call, and you wouldn't know if, if you if – you, don't know the the inner workings of uh, you know, of how a 911 call works. Uh, so her job is to first and foremost get the location, get them, and get that information input into the system, so someone else can can move the assets. And then she has to set the tone for that call. Uh, and sometimes that takes a harsh tone. If you don't establish that early on, especially in a call like that where it's intense and and you know things are out of control, if you lose control of that call in the front end it's really hard to get it back well and and because you know on the call she hands the phone to someone else when you're going to get different information you want to stick with the same person the entire call right i mean there are protocols to it that she's following despite the fact that 
could her tone have been better? Sure, uh, especially at the end. But she's going, as you say, by the book that's not necessarily written the same way each time a phone call uh, is, is, is taken. Yeah, there, there's, there's obviously policies and procedures and, and standard operating procedures that, that a call taker is, is going to follow. And it sounded like she was uh, doing that for the most part. It's, it's almost impossible to follow them letter by letter with, with every call, especially with, with a call like that where the situation is, is very tense. So, you know, but, but for the most part, she was, uh, it sounded like she was, was following the, the, her, her procedure and, and her protocol and getting the right information. Then you want to just keep that caller on the line and you want to, you, you become, you know, you become like an interrogator, like an investigator and, and she did ask early on, are there any weapons? That's a very important call, uh, a part of the call. Because officers need to know uh, that if, if there are weapons that they're going to run into. Uh, they always assume that and, and are prepared for that uh, because somebody can tell you there's not when there is. Mm-hmm. But you always certainly want to ask that question that she asked that, uh, she asked that early on. So, yeah, I mean, okay, the tone, yeah, okay. Everybody has a different tone on a, uh, on a 911 call. Some are, are more pleasant uh, than others, but you know, in that situation, if it's if it's my folks uh, working that call, really not concerned about them being pleasant with somebody in that situation. They need to have control of that phone call and getting the most and best information that they can get as fast as they can get it, so it can get passed along. The safety of those officers are, are paramount that are that are heading that way. Philip Noel, a 911 director, a friend of the show. And uh, just to clarify, Phil, you, you, you heard the call. You're saying nothing out of the ordinary here from what you would hear or what you've heard in the past. No, I mean, it was, it was a, a pretty standard call. And, and yeah, I mean, you, anybody can argue, you know, the, the tone of, of, the, uh, of the call taker. But at the end of the day, she was getting the vital information that was needed. And undoubtedly, there were uh, other people uh, that you couldn't hear that we're moving assets, you know, to that location as quickly as possible. Good stuff, Phil. We appreciate Great hearing it. your voice, man. We appreciate the, the insight. This was much easier than me just reading the text. So I, I, thanks for coming on. <laughs> yeah, guys, anytime, man. Appreciate it. All right. Phil Noel. Hey, just some personal insight. My wife reminds me today <clears throat> of our <clears throat> naked intruder break-in into yes. our house. And when she called 911 in Brentwood, and we had a great experience overall with the police and everything who handled things great. She called 911, and she recalls that what 911 said to her is, yes, we know about the naked man running around your neighborhood. Now, my wife knew nothing about a naked man running through the neighborhood. She said, I don't know what you're talking about. There's somebody in my house. And they said, oh, there's somebody in your house? So they presume they knew the information. That's a, be- a bigger botch of 911 stuff than anything that happened in the Richard Sherman phone call. Well, but I- I'm, I'm presuming here they're getting bombarded with calls then about the naked man running around the neighborhood. Right. But they're, they're presuming that's what she's calling about. She's calling about something much more substantial. This is not right. a call that I'm, I'm looking at a naked man running outside my window. This is a call that there's somebody in my house, and I don't know anything about who's in my house. So that, that's a presumption there that was bad by the 911 dispatch person in Brentwood, Tennessee on that night at 2 o'clock in the morning. That's far worse than what yeah. we saw. Now, it turned out all fine because there was a cop on this person's tail who was also in the house with the guy very quickly. From someone else who had called 911. Right, from one of those people who had yeah. called 911. That's far worse than what we heard in the Richard Sherman. What, what, uh, what I hear in the description, though, is... Uh, 
2 o'clock in the morning. And I, I watched the press conference, too, and they said he was at his ex-in-law's house. But they keep referring to the woman on the phone as his, his wife. wife. So I, I don't know that minute detail. Um, but he's charged with domestic violence, charged with uh, damage to property, an attempt to gain entrance into a residence, uh, which constitutes the burglary charges. And it, initially, they calmed him down. I think one of the, one of the officers uh, helped with a, a valet uh, for one of our previous events when he was in Seattle. Uh, and they, they started that rapport, trying to connect with Sherman when he got there, kn knowing based on the 911 call, he, was, he had threatened to harm himself. Uh, calmed him down, and then he became aggressive after the fact when they told him that they were taking him into custody. So, Whatever the outcome of this, it is very hard to imagine Richard Sherman on the field for a team anytime soon. Yeah. And if it's not anytime soon, because of his age, it becomes harder to imagine him back on the field. So whatever this episode was, which we'll find out more about, um, he may have ended his career. Yeah, he's 33 playing corner, right? And, it, and he, plays a, he played a very good corner still last year. He's, uh, well, he uh, played in five games last year. But he, he's good when he plays still. Um, but. This is the sort of uh, baggage, extra stuff, difficulties that teams are not anxious to take on. And then you add on that you're already taking on an old guy at a position that's a young guy's position. And is a lot. it gets very complicated very fast. Details of Royal St. George's, where they're playing the Open. It debuted this morning, early this morning. Replays are going on now and then later today. Um, I, I'm fascinated by, okay, if I went there, what would be the protocol? What would be required as a guest of the club? And what would we be looking at as a player? We have details of that coming up, which I find fascinating, uh, down to what you have to wear if you're inside the clubhouse. That's next on Outkick 360. Outkick 360 wrapping up our number one across the Outkick network. Alongside Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. The Open is underway. Uh, if you're listening to this uh, in podcast form, you, you know the results. Uh, and if you woke up really early to watch it live, you're likely about to go to bed because it took place overnight. Uh, but Royal St. George's is where the Open is taking place this week. Uh, magnificent course. Second favorite for me behind uh, the Masters is, is this tournament. And just to give some scope to it, we have some graphics and some, some photos. Uh, Royal St. George is known as Sandwich locally. It's the 15th time that the course has hosted the Open. And it's the first time being back. Uh, it, it, the first time was back in 1894 that they played on this course. And again, it's the 15th time. Uh, Jack Nicklaus's worst round uh, as a pro came here. He shot an 83 in the first round in 1981, and Jacob's going to show some, some shots here of the course itself. Par is 70. And look at the landscape and the layout of Royal St. George's. Um, it's also the site of the first time Tiger Woods ever lost a golf ball in his professional career. <laughs> it took place in 2003. He finished two shots behind Ben Curtis. 
in that tournament. And it wasn't because, you know, he, he lost it in the water. He lost his golf ball in the rough. He could not find uh, his golf ball in the rough, the- which, by the way, has not been cut since May. They have The last time the rough was cut was back in May. And you can see the depth of these bunkers. I mean, it is a... It is a golfer's nightmare. It's like a hillside. Um, yeah, I mean, that's why you know people make fun of the the open because it looks like you're playing in, in like a goat pasture, but that's what makes it so much fun, the weather conditions and the course conditions, um, and uh, just a, a small snippet, a random fact: there is exactly one tree on this entire course. So if you think of the the links courses that we would have here in the states compared to what we may see over uh, in Europe. You're thinking a lot of trees, maybe some ponds, water. This is, uh, this is uh, on the shore, and exactly one tree. It's a par three on the third green, right next to the third green, right to the right of the third green. It's a 240-yard par, par three. It normally plays dead into the wind, plus you have that one single tree that blocks the entrance to the green. So it's a big FU to players being the one tree that's on the course. Um, Nick Faldo was the last Englishman to win the Open on English soil, and that was 29 years ago. Tommy Fleetwood is trying to change that, uh, and the, the American, based off of what we saw at the match with Brady and Mickelson and, and Rogers, uh, DeChambeau. DeChambeau is the only top 10 player in the world who's yet to finish in the top 20 of a major this year. Um, and some other notes of interest that, that interest me for like we, we Tommy saw Fleetwood, the, by the way, right now is, is through uh, on nine through nine, tied for thirty first at one under. Okay, that he is the the favorite locally, the Englishman locally that people are rooting for. Uh, some some notes about we, we saw the clubhouse in one of those photos. Let's say randomly we wanted to go to Royal St George's and a non open weekend. What would be required? We have those details for you. Uh, you must have a verified handicap of 18.4 or better at the time of check-in. That screws us. Wow. If wearing shorts, you must wear long knee link uh, socks. So up to the knee in socks if you're wearing shorts on the course. Cell phones only allowed in the parking lot. This is not for the tournament. This is period. Cell phones are only allowed in the parking lot of the clubhouse. Golf attire is allowed inside the clubhouse, I found this interesting, until 11 a.m. After that, a jacket and tie is required to enter the clubhouse for lunch. Uh, Summer rates 250 pounds for 18 holes, winter rates 160 pounds uh, for for the round. So that's $345 for the round with, and you have to be a decent golfer, which you're not playing this course unless you are. You're not going there to hack it around. Uh, And this course, we mentioned they haven't mowed the rough since May. For as prim and proper as it may seem, their greenkeeper, not greenskeeper, they refer to him as their greenkeeper. He looks like Howard Stern. I mean, almost identical. Paul Larson (laughs) is his name, and he is the head greenkeeper at Royal St. George's Golf Club. Look at him, Paul. He's very sternish. He's into his job. One sad note for the English. An Englishman um, right now stands as the worst player of round one. Um, Connor Wardsdale, um, 
has uh, how bad was it for stands him? alone as players who have finished 18 holes plus seven 156 plus seven is probably good for connor and seven uh, over is not bad and only two spots ahead of him sam Bairstow, another englishman louis oosthuizen continues to be the most consistent player week in and week out he's, he's always around under. the lead on sundays and he's six under i believe in the lead after round one, and he leads the open. Spieth, one off, and uh, Harmon, also one off, two Americans. Do you see Kepka anywhere nearby? Uh, I do not. Interesting note uh, for, for people from Tennessee, or if you're just a fan of the guy, it's hard not to be a fan of Brant Snedeker. Um, Tied for 17th, two under. Brant chipped in. Um, he hit it right at the bottom of the cup as, as he was on 18 for eagle. And he is two under. So he made eagle on 18 to get to two under for round one. And what is one of the better rounds recently for Brant Snedeker. He's so props, Brant. Very quiet lately. We Kepka's hope everything's tied going well. for 31st at one under. Okay. So they're all, all the favorites are right there within reach after the, the first round. Wind was going to be a factor as the weekend picks up at the open. It's always one of those big factors. Um, it's not supposed to be as bad. The wind forecast is not supposed to be as bad on Sunday. But Kepka was saying yesterday that the rough, the, the size and the length of the rough, the thickness of it, um, is as bad as he's ever played for the Open. Bad being good, I guess, in open conditions. Good for the course. He, he's saying it's as, the rough is as rough as he's ever played for any of the courses he's been a part of throughout his, his professional life. I mean, I, I don't think there's a sport... There isn't a sport where, I mean, maybe tennis going from clay to grass to hard courts, but I think this is far different. I mean, you look at this course, the pictures you're showing us, and Lynx golf, the extreme of Lynx golf, yeah. is an entirely different game than playing on a regular American course, right? I mean, these guys, their ability to go over there and play this, I know they prepare for it and everything, but it's a... It seems like an entire – you're playing – how often are you playing on a flat lie? Uh, you're not. I don't you think know? you are. And, so, and how often are you playing on a flat lie when you're playing in America? Virtually all the time if you're hitting a fairway and, and, I'm and in, playing a, a, a good round. You're very rarely playing uphill, downhill lies. Here you're playing uphill, downhill lies almost all the time. Um, yeah. And, and so, it's, uh, to me, it strikes me as an entirely different game. I know you've got all those things in your arsenal and you've worked on them all, but it's a completely different weekend of golf. DeChambeau is one over. I, I'm looking his name up. He's tied for 70th because this course goes against his game. His game is he wants to hit bombs. It doesn't matter where the golf ball ends well, up. You have flat ground when you're teeing off. He, he wants to hit bombs, and then he'll figure it out once he gets close to the green. He doesn't really care where the ball ends up. He just wants it to, as close, close to the green as possible. I don't think that really fits his style here because of the rough uh, and because of the bunkers, the, the, bunkers, the, the, the way that the, the, the fairways are, are set up. Um, he's going to have a rough time playing his style of game. Meanwhile, Louis Oosthuizen, who's very patient, um, lays up some, but is not nearly as aggressive. Uh, they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. This fits his style a little bit more because he can be more patient and set up for par 
Meanwhile, DeChambeau's going to lose a golf ball or two throughout this. I, that fascinates me, the fact that you can hit it in the rough and you can search. You have multiple people that are around trying to identify the golf ball and mark it, and they couldn't find it. Well, fact of the matter is, I, 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 and I haven't seen it the way you've seen it yet, but some of those lost golf balls, if you find them, how hard is it to hack out of this rough? <laughs> I know. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, that that rough is turning your club they, in ways that you, uh, you know, I, I know these guys can get it out, but getting it out of there is a nightmare. They, they're getting rain, um, as you would expect, there. Yeah, when are they getting they're rain? also watering the fairways because they want to, they don't want to hurt you for a good shot. Like if you make a good golf shot, they don't want the ball to bounce so much that it goes into the rough automatically. They're trying to help you there. So if you can hit it straight, slow it down. If you can hear it here, if you hit it straight, then then it's up to the, you know, if if you hit it in the right part of the fairway, they don't want it to be because the, the grass is so bouncy in the fairway that it sends your ball just shooting into the, into the rough. So they're trying to help them out. But it's all also with a smirk, right? They're, they're, they're kind of saying that tongue-in-cheek, like, we're, gonna, we're throwing you a bone because the course is so hard. It's crazy. But meanwhile, several people uh, shot under par today uh, in what is uh, my the second favorite major behind uh, the, the Masters. Coming up. The, the hours are not good for you. The hours are not great. You, but the, you had an open. The last open you got to watch at night. It was ideal for yeah, you. This that, open that's, is That's right. This, this open tees off at like 3 a.m. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, and they're still That's going. Hutton's going to bed. They're still going. Uh, coming up, the Tennessee Power Hour. A lot to discuss today. We have some Titans topics to hit. Uh, the fairgrounds in Nashville, they released some renderings as to what the track will look like. David Reed weighs in. He has been a staunch supporter of the fairgrounds receiving that upgrade from the city. We'll get details there and much more straight ahead, including could the Preds actually be paying Shea Weber's contract down the road. We have details on a worst case scenario on Outkick 360. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day and give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.